1: Hello Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle podcast on a Wednesday hump day. We're in the middle of the week in between the two desert teams, Arizona State last Saturday, and of course, homecoming against the Arizona Wildcats this Saturday night in the Coliseum, 745 p.m. kickoff on ESPN. Khalil Tate and the Wildcats with Rich Rod coming into town to take on the Trojans who are 7-2 trying to win the Pac-12 South. Huge pivotal game to see who's going to win the Pac-12 South and represent the South division in the Pac-12 championship game. Okay, so today what we're going to do is we still have some questions left over from Arizona State, so I'm going to answer those uh, myself first. And then we're going to bring in Jason Shear, who uh, does a great job uh, covering Arizona for Two Four Seven, the 247 Scout Network. So we're going to talk to Jason and kind of preview this game, uh, get a sense of Uh, what these Wildcats are all about. Of course, I mean, the huge turnaround uh, winning the last four games, they've been on fire. So we want to talk uh, about all that. If you have any questions or comments for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email. And our voicemail slash text line is 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. Okay, so... Uh, before we jump into all the stuff so we got some questions like i said then we'll take a little break we'll bring in um jason Shear and talk to him a little bit about this uh huge football game just you wouldn't have pictured usc and arizona as being one of those pivotal games but it certainly is now and khalil tate has been uh the major difference but if you want to go to the game Make sure you check out the SeatGeek app. I just pulled it up right now. If you want to do, if you want to buy tickets to the homecoming game, USC versus Arizona, as cheap as thirty-seven dollars uh, on SeatGeek. But if you want to buy, it doesn't, it can't, doesn't have to be complicated when you buy tickets to a sporting event or concerts. There's a better, simpler way, and it's the app I was telling you about, SeatGeek. It's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. They have a seamless mobile experience where you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing the Trojan in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Uh, so I have the SeatGeek app on my phone like I just told you about. You can actually get Dodgers tickets for uh, the World Series starting about $1,000 $1,017. Uh, but if you need tickets for anything, anywhere, you can just a few taps away, you can instantly... Find the seat. So, best of all for our Peristyle podcast listeners, like if you want to go to the homecoming, or heck, if you if you listen to this in time, and you want to go to the uh, World Series game tonight at Dodger Stadium, you can get twenty dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase. So, all of our Peristyle podcast listeners, go to SeatGeek, uh, seek, get the SeatGeek app uh, on the you know I Android uh, Android on the Apple or the Android phone, download the SeatGeek app and use the promo code. USC. So that's important. Use the promo code USC and you'll get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Yeah. it's pretty cool. You can, when you go to the app, you can check to see where the seats are and they'll tell you what's a good value. So it's a really cool, uh, high tech app. Uh, if you want to, you know, anything about, uh, the seats and where you're going to be and all that kind of stuff, it shows you everything. So it's, it's pretty cool. So go, go check out SeatGeek now. And like I said, you get 20 bucks. So that's pretty cool. Um, well, okay, so I want to jump to these questions. We're going to try to knock them all out and then bring in Jason and preview the USC-Arizona game. So Dave at Newport Beach says, is there any coincidence to some of the things that come up on the podcast week after week and now show up in games? For instance, I saw a sideline shot of Sam Darnold; and he had his headset on, I presume talking to the coachings upstairs. It's the first time I've seen this. And could a number of snaps uh, Michael Pittman had last Saturday belated, be related to his father's tweet? In any event, I'm glad to see him on the field more. Dave in Newport Beach. Okay, so two things. One, uh, Keely, you said the same thing. that He was wearing it more. Now, he does wear it sometimes. It's kind of a quicker communication thing. So I wasn't specifically watching him in this game, but I think he had it on uh, more now. So, and as far as Michael Pittman, I, I tweeted something like to that effect, and his dad actually tweeted me, and we got into a little bit of a Twitter uh, argument, I guess you could say, during the game. But, you know, we parted on good terms. Um I mean, I don't think there's anything, the squeaky wheel gets the grease sort of deal. Uh, there, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's probably some truth to that, but some of it is just, um, you know, him getting healthy again. You know, his dad was saying he was fully healthy. Um, you know, I, I think the same sort of thing. We were kind of calling for Tyler Vaughns a lot. And sometimes coaches make decisions and they, they get stubborn and they want to stick to it and they want to stick with it. And it's not really, I'm not saying it's the right or wrong one, but, you know, maybe perception is that it's wrong. And then you kind of see later, like, yeah, he probably should have been playing. Like, yeah, Tyler Vaughn should, should have been starting, you know. Um, but whatever, you know, they had some reason not to do it. And then sometimes it's like, okay, for the game or two. And I think there was a reason last year that Max Brown started. I mean, there was there were some obvious reasons. But there's probably better reasons that Sam Darnold should have been starting. But for whatever reason, they put precedent on the, the reasons that aren't as important as, you know, if you're talking about, hey, who's the best receiver? There was an argument on the peristyle. Well, the guy that catches the ball, I think I'd rather have him. You know, like someone, well, this guy's faster, this guy's stronger. like, well, I like the guy that catches the ball because that's the most important aspect of it. So um, Sam Darnold was a better quarterback. And so, yes, maybe one guy was older, maybe he knew the system, whatever. But the better quarterback, the guy who was going to make plays, the guy that was going to lead you down the field, that's the one you'd want out there. So I think sometimes coaches will make a decision for a reason. I mean, obviously they make decisions for a reason. But it's not always the best reason. There's other reasons that are better, but in their mind, when they're prioritizing things, they switch it around. And we make those decisions in our day, you know, every day. Like if you're choosing to pay one bill versus the other and you, you decide to pay, you know, some <laughs> some meaningless bill as opposed to a credit card that you get like 20% interest on, like you you made a decision, you had a reason why you, you paid this other bill, but the 20% interest is probably going to hurt you more long-term. So- Yes, I I think they make decisions. I think they do. uh, You know, we've talked about this. I think they listen uh, to what we're saying a lot. I mean, Clay Helton has walked up to Dan Weber and Keely Yor and all of us after games in the Coliseum and asked them what's going to be on instant analysis. So um, I think they they know what is being said. And I'm not saying that that's what they take into consideration. But I think we can be kind of a mouthpiece for the people because we get a lot of fans email us. You see the outrage. They 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 talk to us, and we kind of talk about what they're talking about. And I think the coaching staff sometimes needs to know, like, hey, what are the people saying? Now they can see on Twitter. I mean, if you watched, you know, when we put up, so I was at the Notre Dame game. I put up a Facebook Live of Clay Helton's post-game presser. Every comment that came by was negative. They were so mad. It didn't matter what he said. But I, I would go back and look at when USC would put something up, too. Same sort of thing. They're complaining. They're, you know, they're, they're bitching about it. Um, just like they would on our feed for different things that we would put up. So I think they kind of know. Um, but, you know, we're we're a way – I just – I think we're a way to be – to show what – and we're the biggest site out there. Um, So it kind of gives a pulse of what the church the and fan base are feeling. And there's people in the administration and the coaching office that, you know, read our stuff. Sometimes they'll, they'll call us out and say, hey, I don't like what you said here, blah, blah, blah. We've never been told, like, hey, don't say this. But, you know, they'll express – um, concerns over certain things we said and we'll talk about things and you know we either stand by it or say oh yo, that was a mistake we should correct it uh, but good stuff there let's see curtis and marino valley said uh how to limit mr tate from arizona the question is for um oh i i didn't realize he had this for coach harvey hyde but uh but i'll answer it sorry about that curtis um he said he could be bouncing around the whole pair style crew okay well bounce around with me how do you feel about mixing zones with their normal containment defense? We have great man cover, guys, but you can't turn your back on this guy. Oh, you know what? I think, Curtis, We I think we talked about this in uh, Harvey Hyde's podcast. We we definitely did. Um, so he was talking about Randall Cunningham. So my apologies for that. But, yeah, I think um, I'm curious to see what sort of defensive scheme that Clancy Pendergast comes up with. I think he always has a plan. I think they're going to utilize a spy. That is my guess. Um, they'll probably do something like that. Now, who are they going to do it? I'm not exactly sure. Um, but I think they're going to do that. Um, he likes to come and, and, and bring some pressure and, and play man behind it. So then, like you said, there's guys that are going to be running down the field and not really looking back at the quarterback. I. I think they'll do some. I'm just not sure they're going to do a significant amount of zone uh, behind that because I think he's going to really be focused on the line of scrimmage. And I think he's trying to force uh, force things to happen. So um, we'll see with that. All right, let's see. we got Don. He said, great emergency reverse podcast. That's the one I did on Sunday. Uh, working even at the airport. Yep, that's what we do here. Uh, I believe Cam, uh, Cam explained the defensive line issue better than any of the coaches when he said it is – tendencies, not ability, which caused the defense to get blown out. The starters all have their tendencies to react to certain formations and or blocking of the offensive line. Cam knows how to react and where to attack due to those tendencies. The freshmen have not developed tendencies yet, so the linebackers are unable to react as quickly. However, Cam did say that SC was no match for Notre Dame. As far as adversity, the coaching staff can adjust to adversity between games, but able to during games successfully. Um so that's from Don. I think they've adjusted pretty well in games at times. Um I think you, you look at the Utah game, there was I think there was a lot of adjustments made there. And you know, with the how bad everything went for Notre Dame and how good it went for Arizona State, like they're not as bad as they looked against Notre Dame, and they're probably not as good as they looked as dominating in Arizona State. It's probably closer to the mean somewhere in the middle. Um and you know, I think there are certain tendencies. I think, I think when you play a one-dimensional team like Notre Dame was, and now I know um, they were throwing the ball over the top a little bit. They just it just wasn't a great. There were some some great passes, but there were some really awful passes and stuff too. You needed to have a secondary playing well enough behind you that you could kind of try to take over the line of scrimmage. But even that didn't happen. I think just getting guys like Porter Gustin back, who's now going to be out for the Arizona game, so that's huge. Um, I think he made a huge difference uh, for this defense. Now, probably played too much. I think he played 40-something plays. Uh, we're going to wait for Shotgun's uh, analysis to come out for that, but I, I think he was in the 40s. And uh, for him to not practice or even put pads on since uh, the Texas game, the second half of the Texas game, or the first half, he was out you know, all of the time since, hasn't practiced at all. I, I wanna, I'm curious what Shotgun's number is. I think it's in the 40s. If he did play that much, it just seems like, a little too much. I mean, whatever the pitch count was, he's probably blew through that. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. But him back, uh, Josh Fatu, who's practicing this week, I think that all kind of helped too. But it's you got to remember that it is young guys. It is college players, um, 19, 20, 21 years old. There's There's a lot of emotion. And if the coaching staff doesn't do a good job getting the team up for a game or getting them prepared, you could see it snowball and get out of control. And I think it did for USC against Notre Dame. And I think it did for Arizona state when they were Arizona state's defense was doing uh, there's a, a cool piece up. We put on the pair style that SunDevilSource.com uh, put up a, a neat analysis with a bunch of uh, clips from the game of how the USC passing attack and running game, like defeated the Arizona state defense has been playing really well the past two weeks. And it really just started off with kind of hitting those shots over the top. There were some simpler route concepts where Maybe a double move and, you know, guys were blowing their assignments or not executing right. And Sam Darnold's good enough to find a Deontay Burnett, you know, for a really a perfect pass for a touchdown. I think that kind of loosened up the defense and then it just opened up everything else, too. So that, that's a really an interesting analysis piece. You could kind of check it out. Um, here, we're going to play this voicemail and it kind of goes along with the next email question. Here you go.
2: Ray again here, a children fan in SEC country. Uh, another comment, I guess this is for Ryan. You can probably address this if you have the time. Um, a player you guys have been um, really highlighting, the, the the this talent this person possesses, um, got some action this weekend, and I was really proud and happy to see that in the limited action he got, he almost had an interception, um, and I'm talking about Jamel Cook, uh, got in the game uh, batted the ball to, uh, uh, I think it was Ross who uh, ended up making the pick six at the end and seeing him in pads. It it really does crystallize. Like a lot of the things that you guys have been raving about all off season, um, in camp and what have you, he presents a matchup problem for a lot of players. wide receivers, um, slot receivers. I couldn't even imagine that matchup. Um, and tight ends. Uh, he, he's a really, really versatile player. He looks, he looks like he's a, a legit three, really long arms and really athletic and good hips. He moves fluidly. Um, I'm just happy that he got his playing time. If you could, I don't know what happened, what changed, if you guys have any insight between what happened last, the, the, the last few weeks. I mean, I haven't even seen him on the sidelines. Um, and he shows up in uniform, gets in the game and almost has an interception. Uh, Thanks for all you guys do, and fight on
1: again. And then we also had Tom, uh, USC class of 86 in New Jersey. He said, without sugarcoating it, why does Jamel Cook, uh, I think he means why doesn't Jamel Cook see the field, particularly given the awful secondary performance year to date? Um, Okay, I wouldn't say it's awful, but thanks for the questions about Jamel Cook. Yeah, um, it is all very curious. Uh, I've really been impressed. Like I was impressed with the way Tyler Vaughn's played, the other number 21. Now he's becoming a superstar on this team, I was impressed with uh, Jamel Cook. And I think, you know, if you talk to Shotgun, he had some thoughts where he started off good and then kind of fell off a little bit. I don't know. I kind of feel like it was a similar thing to Tyler where he was running with the ones and then they dropped him down to the twos. Now, there's, I think, you know, I, I don't think it's all about play on the field when it comes to Jamel Cook. We don't know exactly, did he get in the doghouse somehow? Is there something that, you know, he doesn't know the playbook. I'm not exactly sure. There's something, there has to be something. Cause I'm seeing from what I'm seeing, it just seemed like they were so slow to adapt, to bring him on and uh, have him be a part of this team. I'm not really sure. Um, I kind of feel you're going to see him a little bit more. Um, it seems like maybe they're getting more confidence in him. You know, it's the hard part is it's not like if he's in a, a wide receiver, he still gets in some, if you're on this defense, you're not getting in. Um, it's just you're not, you know. Clancy Pendergast doesn't put you in unless you're in the the short rotation, and he hasn't been in there. And uh, then we saw him at the, you know, the end of the game, and he got his hands on a ball, um, and like I said, led to a pick six interception. I kind of like him better as a nickel. Uh, they also moved him twice, you know, from safety to nickel and nickel to, um, to cornerback. We're gonna go to practice today. Maybe ask some more questions about him. We've asked about him a lot. We can never really get a straight answer. Um, I mean. Yeah, it's I had heard something like a long time ago, like in just in passing, someone said he thought it was in the doghouse. It kind of made sense to me. Like, what did we have done? I don't know. I, I think there's also like we talked about the squeaky wheel thing. Um, you know, there's questions of, well, hey, is he going to end up transferring and stuff like that? They got to get him on the field. Um, so we'll see. And, you know game like Arizona, you know, we, we, there have been other matchup times where you're like, hey, Jamel Cook would be good to be in there and match it up with guys, and they don't do it. And it's not like, you know, I think secondaries played, you know, some of the guys have played really well at times. There have been some some lapses, but it's not like the secondaries playing less rock-solid lights out that everything would get screwed up if you put Jamel Cook in there too. So uh, I just don't know. Um, but nothing has given me... Like, if I'm a Jamel Cook fan and I want to see him into the game, I've not seen anything from the coaches that's given me confidence that, yeah, his turn is just around the corner. Um, Like I said, I'm getting the feeling that they're going to work him in a little bit more, but nothing like, probably nothing like you, if you're a huge fan of his, uh, you would want to see. But, I don't know, we'll see. And like I said, I'll talk to the the coaches and stuff today. I'm going to try to see what I can find out about uh, number 21, because it just really, the same thing sort of happened to Tyler Vaughn's And now he's in. Uh, We haven't seen the same thing with Jamel Cook. All right, we got one last one before we uh, bring in Jason. Here you go.
3: Hello, Don Autry. This comment is for Ryan. Ryan, please don't think I'm upset with you about what you said about my statement that USC needs to recruit more black quarterbacks. I think you completely missed my point for saying so. Let me ask you this. Who do you see carrying the ball? The majority of running backs are black athletes, whether it be on the high school, college, or pro level. My point being, black quarterbacks have an extra skill at getting away from the pass rush because of their athletic quickness. It just adds an extra dimension to the offense and another thing for the defense to worry about. Now, your comment about Winbush missing open receivers... Who cares? Apparently, he didn't miss his receivers on the two touchdowns that he threw, and Notre Dame won the game. Ryan, I've long watched the history of the few black quarterbacks that USC recruits. They'll give them a scholarship with no intention of them playing quarterback at USC. Just ask Jalen Green. He's an example of what I'm talking about.
1: Well, thanks for the question again. Um, so so a couple of your points there. As far as Jalen Green goes, I think Steve Sarkeesian, when he recruited him and brought him in late, had every intention of him letting him play quarterback. He switched back and forth a couple of times. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I I don't think you could say that every black quarterback that they recruited, they didn't have any intention of them playing. Um, yeah, most I think most running backs are black, African-American. Um, you know, and Quarterbacks are, you know, it's cool now. I think in college football because you got this mix of quarterbacks and, uh, you know, it's, it's just. A, but I, I wouldn't say only black quarterbacks are, are ones that are quick in the pocket and can get away from a pass rush. Um, and I wouldn't say you know just because Brandon Winbush is black doesn't mean he wasn't a good thrower. I, I just don't think he's a very good passer of the football. Now he had a couple of really good passes and he missed a whole bunch of open uh, receivers too. But you know he had they certainly had the better team. They had the better offensive line. Um, they played better that day. And, you know, I, I just think you're saying that. Like, if you look at Sam Darnold, one of his abilities is that, you know, he's a white quarterback. He's very good at getting, re- getting away from the pass rush. And sometimes you got guys that are super fast or super quick. Their vision is poor, black, white, whatever, it doesn't matter. And they don't even sense the pass rush. So you got to have, there's, there, I think it's just everything. And it doesn't matter. To me, it just doesn't matter kind of what race it is, you know, what race the person is, as far as where they're going to be or how they're going to be successful. Um, but I think just in general, a quicker, more athletic quarterback, um, yeah, I think that's the way that, at least with Clay Helton and, and USC are going, where you see like a Matt Fink, how fast he can run, uh, stuff like that. So, I mean, I think like a Justin Fields, they were recruiting hard. They wanted to get him. Uh, he's going to end up picking someplace else. I would say over the last you know decade or so, a lot of the guys that they recruited, it just didn't work out. I mean, just, yeah, I, I would say that it's been it's been a hit or miss. If you're talking about hey getting a black quarterback in and having them be successful, it's it just it it's been a lot of misses and and just not a lot of hits for whatever reason. I think a variety of reasons. But um, I I would get just stay away from the you know the I've never seen you know I know Clay Helton pretty well now just from seeing him around and uh, I wouldn't say there's anything kind of racist about you know how he's choosing a quarterback or anything like that. I, I I'm not saying that's what you're saying, Don, but just um, when you're talking about, hey, you should only get this race of a, a of whatever position you're talking about, um, I, th- I always think it's cool. Like when I would watch hockey um, and you'd see like there's not that many African-American players and I would like root for them. like, hey, that's cool because you don't see those guys very often, you know. Or if you had, a, you know, there's like an Asian linebacker or something you're like, oh, that's awesome. Like you just don't see a lot of those. So, um, you know, I, that's I, I just that's the kind of way I look at it and stuff. But um yeah no I, I i i would just stay away from well black quarterbacks can do this and white quarterbacks can do that i think they there's guys that can do everything if you you know there's there's black quarterbacks that aren't as athletic i mean you see like a warren moon he had as good of arm as anybody could huck it all over the place um you know and and there's you know some white quarterbacks that are quick and elusive and uh you know they just don't even know like where are these guys coming from so i don't know it's um, good points, Don. We appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll end it on that. All right. So, what we're going to do is take a quick break, and then I'm going to come back and we're going to talk to Jason Shear about this USC Arizona game.
3: You are listening to the Parastyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.
1: All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast, and we're lucky to be joined by Jason Shear. He does a great job as the publisher and senior editor of wildcatauthority.com, part of the Scout 247 Network. You can follow him on Twitter at Jason Scheer, S-C-H-E-E-R. What's going on in Tucson, Jason? How are you?
0: Not too much. Doing uh, doing pretty good, how about
1: you? Yeah, pretty good. Getting ready for this big one. I, I, I said in the earlier in the show, uh if you you know, going into the game or going into the season, do you think, oh, USC Arizona would be like this huge matchup in the Pac twelve South? Probably no one would have believed you.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is uh this is definitely a, an extremely surprising uh turn of events for Arizona, especially the way that the, the earlier season looked like. I think Arizona fans are are pretty shocked that this is legitimately a, a big game this weekend.
1: It is. And, uh, so it's funny. So I'm going to USC football practice yesterday and I have to stop off, uh, at CVS pharmacy. So I live in, uh, Hermosa beach, California. And it's like Redondo beach is like on the way, like on the way out. And so I pop in the pharmacy and there's a, a woman there wearing a full on, uh, Tate Jersey, number 14, Arizona hat. It's got like kind of some Arizona decorations on it and stuff. And, uh, so I go up to her and like, say hello and say oh did you dress up as khalil tate for halloween and she said he's my son so her so it was funny so uh leslie tate um she was very uh very lovely lady it was uh, really fun to talk to her and she asked me who i was and she i'd covered khalil tate at sarah high school so she kind of knew me um from that and stuff and uh so we tweeted each other a little bit but i thought it was uh it was pretty funny greatest lady in the world she was so proud of her son like honor student all this kind of stuff so he just seems to be taking the Arizona Wildcat community by storm.
0: Yeah, it's insane. I'm, I'm not sure that I've seen uh, a football player, at least, maybe since Gronkowski. Um, that's really taken a town by storm like he is. I, in, I mean, there's an Arizona basketball. It's just an exhibition tonight. But even though uh, it's an exhibition in normal years, it would still get more pub. Uh, you wouldn't even know it. I think it, it hasn't been like this in a while in the sense where Tate is getting a ton of attention it's now turned into national attention, and and people are actually, for the first time in a long time, talking more about football uh, than basketball, and it's pretty much all because of Khalil Tate and what he's done on the field the past month or so.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's some parallels between USC in 2016 and Arizona in 2017 where maybe the head coach started the wrong quarterback to start the season. Um, I mean, the fact that you know, he's run for more yards, I think, in the, the month of October than any player in, like, the last 10 years. Um, and, like, any player, like, in the modern era, like, oh besides two or something, have not run for this many yards in one month. And he's a quarterback. Um, it's, just, it's just crazy what he's been able to do, kind of like what Sam Darnold was doing last year. But then everyone's like, well, where was he to start the season?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, and it's funny. Like, Rich Rodriguez now will say that he was going to put Khalil Tate in against Colorado, even if, if Brandon Dawkins didn't get hurt. But uh, I kind of don't believe that. I mean, Brandon Dawkins was a QB. He was really bad against Utah. Against Colorado, he gets hurt uh, really early in the game. Khalil Tate comes in uh, and just goes off. I mean, he went absolutely off against Colorado. And you can make an argument that if if Brandon Dawkins doesn't get injured, He's probably the starting quarterback against USC and we have no idea what Khalil Tate can do. And and in a way, uh, you know, it's interesting because Rich Rodriguez went from a coach that, you know, we were thinking of making a hot board at at one point when they were two and two to now he has a chance to win the the conference coach of the year. And in a way it's by accident because if Brandon Dawkins doesn't get hurt, he's probably still the starting quarterback unless he plays really, really poorly.
1: Which is hilarious. And I think, um, one of your uh writers uh, Christian Corona had an interesting stat about um so I, I let me get this right so he over this like last five or last four games he's passed for 700 yards ran for 700 yards threw for five touchdowns or more and ran for five touchdowns or more so the last time someone did that was Denard Robinson for Michigan uh seven years ago so um pretty crazy like the what he's been able to do you know completing 70% of his pass I mean it's amazing just all of the all of the stats are just mind-boggling.
0: Yeah, I mean, some of the stats, it's almost like we're trying to come up with different ways that we can say how good he's been. I mean, the 10-year thing with the rushing, there's another stat that said, like, in the modern era, his QB rating for this month is, like, the highest um, in in the modern era in the last 20 years or something like that. And, and there's just stats. He's, like, he's top 10 in rushing already, and he's only started in four games. Um, so <laughs> it's just unreal what he's been able to do and, and it, throwing i think has been the biggest uh impressed most impressive aspect of his game because washington state looked like they were taking away the run and then all of a sudden he was throwing downfield he's a much better thrower i think than people give him credit for his efficiency rating in the air um he's completing like 70 percent of his passes and a lot of them are just downfield so he's a guy where he can basically right now at least do absolutely no wrong on the field
1: he's a big play guy um and won the pac-12 player of the week Four weeks in a row, uh, no one's ever done that. Um, I vote, and I was like trying to figure out reasons not to vote for. You know, you're like, okay, I can't, he can't win again, you know. And there's other guys that are deserving too, but um, it's pretty amazing. I mean, to have a guy win at four weeks in a row, and I know they talk about, well, Arizona's been on the Pac-12 networks so and no one's seeing it, but I think the people that, ma- I think the, the people that cover college football are watching them when they can, and they're seeing it. And even though this is going to be a really late game. They're going to watch, you know, and I think a lot of people are going to, their opinions on Khalil Tate are going to be based on what happens Saturday night right or wrong, because at least it'll be on ESPN where everyone can see him.
0: Right, I mean, he's been putting up these crazy numbers and Arizona's last three games have been on the Pac-12 network, and, you know, it'll go one of two ways. Either he'll play great on national television, and and people love him anymore, and he'll take off, and my guess is people start talking about him and the highs in consideration and all that, or he'll play poorly, and um, unfairly probably, people say, oh, well, you know, he just kind of got hot at the right time. And uh, But either way, I, I think he's going to be on national television. He has a big stage. Arizona hasn't been on a, a major network in about a month. So um, it's a big opportunity for him, and it's really a, a big opportunity for Arizona football because if they somehow win this game um, nationally, I, I think the brand overall and, and just what Arizona can do, and, and Khalil Tate especially, um, it'll definitely start to gain more momentum than it has right now.
1: Yeah, the, uh, it's going to be a big game, obviously. Um, you know, what do you feel as far as, like, gut feeling about Khalil Tate and the rest of the Wildcats being able to handle the moment? I guess the if you watch the Pac-12 week to week, and we do, I mean, you just, it's hard to tell. Like, Colorado's garbage, and then they're great. And, you know, you know you'd know, see <laughs> Steven Montez can't throw anything, and then he's a Heisman Trophy-looking quarterback. USC Lays an egg, then they look awesome against ASU. We've just seen these teams go up and down, like a Stanford just rolling people, and then beating Oregon State by a point in the last second. It's hard to kind of predict what's going to happen in the Pac-12. But any kind of sense going into this, do you feel like the moment's going to be too big, or it's peaking at the right time and it looks like it's going to be this epic matchup?
0: You know, it's interesting because talking to the guys, there's a there's a quiet confidence. It's it's the sense where they believe that they can beat USC. But I think they also know that they kind of need to in order to uh, have people acknowledge the success that they've had. And I don't think the moment will be too big. I think that what's maybe most impressive about Khalil Tate, the person, is that he's he's a pretty humble kid. Um, he, he gives credit to his one of these quarterbacks. gives credit to his offensive line. what Pretty much no matter what you ask him, doesn't really talk about himself uh, that much, doesn't really like to. And, and so I don't think the moment's going to be too big for him, especially coming from Sarah where they had a, a lot of big high school games, and and he's used to playing against this this really good competition. And Rich Rodriguez does a good job. He he basically said that he lets them be nervous throughout the week. He lets them acknowledge it's a big game, and and he kind of wants them to feel that energy. But once they get on that plane to go to USC, that energy, um, it needs to be turned into something good. And, And I think that they've generally in the past done a pretty good job at that. I don't think the moment will be too big. USC may just be the better team. Um, but if USC wins, I, I don't think it'll be because Arizona's kind of overwhelmed by facing the Trojans in the moment overall.
1: So the, the the run game too, uh, obviously, Khalil Tate's been a huge part of that. But J.J. Taylor, I think, uh, has been a really good and, and kind of when I think in the the last game he kind of started off slow, but then he broke off a big run later. Like, how important has his development been to helping Tate have like a second, like you know, home run threat option back there?
0: It's huge because Nick Wilson is a guy where, you know, Nick Wilson has been hurt every year. Once again, he's hurt. He's he's probably questionable for USC. My guess is that he plays. But even if he plays, you don't really know what you're going to get. So J.J. Taylor becomes kind of that top guy. They have another guy, Zach Green, but um, he's more of a power back. And so what happened against Washington State was they kind of started over-pursuing and over-penetrating to get the Tate, and that opened it up for Taylor, and Taylor just went off. He had two huge runs, finished with 150 yards. Um, and so when he's running um, and, and Tate's able to run and, and kind of throw those tight ends, it's kind of a, a pick-your-poison situation. And when Arizona's running backs aren't going, it makes it easier, obviously, to, to cover Arizona. But when a guy like Taylor is as successful as he was against Washington State, it's pretty much impossible to, to stop Arizona. You pretty much have to say to yourself, all right, we're just going to have to outscore him, and it's going to be a shootout type of game. But um, it, teams that have been able to kind of take the running backs away uh will, those games are kind of closer even cal did it and that game was closer uh even though tate wound up kind of stepping up late but yeah, if i'm usc i'm probably trying to focus on stopping taylor um, nick wilson and zach green the most because tate's kind of the guy you get the feeling he's going to get his but if that actual pure running game struggles i think arizona's offense um slows down a little bit which obviously is important
1: so this is a team that's been obviously electric on As we've been talking about uh Maybe not the best on defense. The last five games, uh, opponents, I think, are averaging almost 37 points per game. What what have you seen from this Wildcat defense? Are they, have they kind of, I don't know, got some momentum from this Khalil Tate train that everyone's riding in? But it seems like they're still giving up a bunch of points.
0: Yeah, it's a weird, kind of a weird defense because they're giving up a lot of points, but they're not necessarily giving up a lot of yards per play. And against Washington State – they gave up the points, but one of the touchdowns was off a muffed fumble where Washington State started at the 20, like 29 yard line, and another one was off a another fumble in which Washington State started like the 23, and so that handed the Cougars. And I think there was another turnover, so that handed the Cougars like 17 points on offense, and uh, they allowed a ton of yards. But that was kind of it. Felt like that was their strategy almost, um, on kind of keep them in front of them and don't allow the big play. Uh, What you'll see from Arizona's defense is they're really aggressive, and I have a feeling they'll they'll be the same way against USC. They blitz a lot, more than um, any other pass defense under Rich Rodriguez by far. They'll they'll stunt a lot on the defensive line. They'll send blitzes from the linebackers. They'll play a lot of zone blitz, so they'll be really aggressive. Um, It gives up big plays. If the offensive line, the opposing offensive line could handle the blitz, Um, a lot of times Arizona's defense will struggle, but – the payoff is basically that Arizona leads the conference in interceptions. I think so. They'll force turnovers; they force them at a much higher rate than they have uh, in previous years under Rodriguez. But they're also going to allow those big plays because they're blitzing. There's a lot of talent there. There's talent to be successful, but they're really, really young. Um, and so it's the type of defense where they'll struggle now. But I think in a few years, they'll or even next season, they'll be much better. But there's some major growing pains on the defense. But you still kind of see flashes of potential as well.
1: Um. Yeah, that's uh I think one of the aspects of this team, they they do force turnovers and that's something that USC's had a propensity to do. They've they've given the ball over a lot. So I think that's could be one of the key factors here. If you know, even though give a bunch of yards and give up some points, if Arizona's able to force uh, Sam Darnold into turning the ball over kind of, he didn't do a bad job against Arizona State with just one, but usually they're two or three a game, um, I think that could be a key factor here.
0: Yeah, and I think that's Arizona's strategy. There's no way Arizona's going to sit back on defense and win this game. They'll get absolutely killed if they're not aggressive. And so uh, I think ideally if Arizona's going to win this game, they probably have to force two to three turnovers because anything less than that. And my guess is Arizona has a a really difficult time winning. So I think you'll see a lot of blitzing and stunting, and and Arizona's going to really kind of try to press the issue and try to force an early turnover especially.
1: Uh, let's talk about special teams real quick, too. It seems like this is a, an Arizona squad that's been really good with punt returns, um, kickoff returns. It's, I, I would say that's not an area of strength for USC, anything on the special teams aspect. How, how would you rate kind of how Arizona uh, special teams have played this year?
0: It's been solid. I think the field goal kicking, they have one kicker for short field goals, Josh Pollock, and he's all right. I think he's like 9 of 13 on the year. Um, and then they have a kicker they bring in for long field goals, Lucas Havrasek. Uh, he does kickoffs also. He's really, really good. He had a 57-yard field goal last game. Uh, kickoffs, he's pretty much almost a lock to kick it out of the end zone. Uh, punting is where they've really struggled. They do not have a good punter. That's uh, near the bottom of the conference. And, and, and so that's a situation where my guess is Arizona doesn't even try to punt it to USC. Uh, it, it's just kind of how the punts have been going. They, they shank one a game, it feels like. So punting... Um, is probably a worry for Arizona. It'll be interesting how they handle that. Punt returns, um, kickoff returns, they're all right. Uh, Nothing explosive, but they're better than they were last year. I wouldn't call them super special teams. They're they're pretty much adequate. Uh, But punting, I think if you're looking for a concern and maybe an advantage for USC, uh, Arizona's punting has really struggled as of late. Well,
1: how do you kind of see this one playing out? I mean, I'm just... I'm just not really sure. I don't know if USC is a seven-point favorite. Um, that's what the the odds makers kind of have it. Do, do you? What do you? Any kind of gut feeling about this one, Jason?
0: You know, like for the last three weeks, I have said to myself, "There's no way Khalil Tate can go off again." And as soon as he does it, Arizona's going to lose. But they keep it keeps happening, and, and I, I still say to myself, "I don't know if Khalil Tate can put out 300 yards passing and 150 yards rushing on on USC." And so I think, while he has a good game. I don't really trust Arizona's defense. I think Arizona's going to have difficulty stopping USC. I think USC's more likely to stop Arizona than vice versa. I think it's going to be a really fun game. I don't think Arizona's going to get blown out. I think that offense is too good right now. Um, so I think it's going to be one of these crazy Pac-12 games. But I think at the end of the day, USC just has more horses on both sides of the ball than Arizona. So Arizona's going it, to it, – it's easily I, – I know they played Washington State and, and Washington State beat USC – um, but I still consider overall USC to be a better team than Washington State, especially at home. Uh, so I think Arizona's facing its most difficult challenge um, in Pac-12 season so far. So I, I think a lot would have to go right for Arizona to win this game.
1: Yeah, man, it's it's funny. Like I hear people saying that, but I, just the way they've been playing has uh, has been pretty special. And USC's played well like twice this year. <laughs> the, the you know last week against Arizona State in Stanford, but so many other times they just have not played very well. They've played poorly. Um, but its I think it's going to be a really good one. And, um, you know, neither team is out of it if they lose this one, but obviously you have the pole position for the Pac-12 South. And, uh, you know, Utah has been trying to win the South. They couldn't do it. Rich Rod did this a few years ago, and if he's able to do it again, especially after being on the hot seat, I mean, props to him, because both him and Todd Graham, people were writing off as they're going to be gone at the end of the season – Uh, And like you said, Rich Rod, candidate for for Coach of the Year. But if he's able to secure a win at USC, you know, have a stranglehold on the Pac-12 South, uh, it'd be amazing for him to get back there. It's probably not a program that's going to win every year, but if if he can show, hey, I can win this every, you know, three or four years or something, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah, I mean, for all the criticism he took, uh, you could kind of tell when he goes to these press conferences after a win, and he's kind of got a a little extra hopping in his stuff. He, he knows what people were saying about him. Uh, he knows that he was pretty much fired in the, in the community uh, when they were 2-2 two and, two and they got beat by uh, Houston and Utah. And Looking back on it, he still faces criticism because people still say, hey, if you start to tape from the beginning... I mean, Arizona lost the, that Houston and Utah game by a touchdown. Uh, and so, in Arizona fans' minds, they could be undefeated right now. But even though that's not the case, uh, if he beats UFC, this town's going to go nuts because Arizona still has it's not an easy schedule. They're still at Oregon and at ASU, but they have Oregon State, and and you never know. They could be in a situation where they're going into that ASU game with a lock on McConnell. Already. So this is a, a really big game, I think, for Rich Rodriguez and I think for the community as a whole, because if he could find a way to win the South somehow again, um, that that's pretty remarkable considering where we thought this team was at the beginning of the year.
1: Yeah, uh, pretty crazy. You never know what to expect. You think, oh, this team's going to be here, this team's going to be there. And from week to week, it can change. And obviously, over the course of a month, the last month for Arizona football has been absolutely outstanding. And uh, looking forward to this one, Jason. But thanks, to, thanks for coming on and sharing some insights. We really appreciate you uh, talking about the Wildcats.
0: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: All right. That's Jason Shear. Make sure you check him out. Uh, covering Arizona and, you know, basketball, too. Jason, there's, like, basketball stuff going on, right? Like, you, does Arizona people care about basketball a little bit, I guess, right?
0: <laughs> there's a game tonight and a game on Sunday. It's interesting. We'll see how much they care, though, with all the, uh, you know, we, we can relay with all the FBI stuff.
1: Yeah, that's what USC and Arizona. But see, that it's just such, there's such more of a, you know, obviously, the Arizona basketball culture is so much more than what USC is. But this is, the, you know, this is the first time USC hoops have been ranked in the AP Top 10 since 1975, uh, which is kind of crazy. But they're doing those. Are these the secret games, right? The ones we're not supposed to go to or report on and stuff like that? Or, or are these actual games you can talk about?
0: No, these are, yeah, these are actual public scrimmages. They have one tonight against like Eastern New Mexico State or something like that where it'll be a terrible game. But oh, okay. uh, the fans like it. So
1: Yeah, USC had one like the other day. I forgot who it was, but it was like one of those behind closed doors that you're not allowed to talk about and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. Yeah, kind of getting rolling and stuff. But yeah, basketball season's here. it's not going to trump what's going to happen uh, Saturday night in the Coliseum. So thanks again, Jason, and everyone else. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We will talk to you next time.
2: You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting.